The history of television is a history of failure. For every television series that lasted years and years, there were dozens that lasted only one season or less. But did they deserve to die? Or were they... Cancelled too soon? And welcome back to Cancel Too Soon, the podcast where we review television series that lasted only one season or less. My name is William Bibiani. I'm a film critic. Everybody calls me Bibbs. My name is Whitney Seibold. And I'm about to sneeze. Nope. You no, okay? I'm, 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 okay? I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm he not literally about to just put, put his finger up to his nose like you do in like sitcoms. <laughs> or, or Snow White or something. Yeah. Uh, my name is Whitney Seibold. I'm a film critic. And uh, I also write for the internet. I uh, co-host this podcast with you. Dear co-host William, thank you. And it's been one <laughs> hell of a march. It's been as, one hell of a march as we have been marching through. Uh, ro- part uh, cops with the <laughs> can't you even can do it. Can't even get the name right. Cops with Robot Partners Month. That's right. Every episode in March. In case you're just joining us, we have been reviewing television series about human cops who have robot partners. It is a genre that is surprisingly specific and surprisingly big. Also, <laughs> usually fails. <laughs> Someone pointed out that there is a cop with a robot partner on the long-running television series Eureka, but that's not the premise of the show. That's sort of an incidental aspect of it. Yeah, and you can probably tell, if it's an incidental aspect, you can tell that the, the showrunners are probably goofing on it. Oh, I'm sure. Like, yeah, I'm we, sure like a, they, they know all of these shows that haven't succeeded, so they'll figure they'll just sort of push it off to the side. So, so in Casadova Partners Month, first off, we have to give a shout out to the show that started this all for us, uh-huh. uh, which is Man and Machine, uh, which is a <laughs> great show that we had a lot of fun reviewing mm-hmm. uh, way back in the beginning of the podcast. It was our ninth episode. That was still one of my favorite shows we've ever reviewed. <laughs> uh, and since then, we were like, we had to track them all down. And this month, we reviewed Future Cop, which. Uh, let's just give a quick recap. Eh. Ernest Borgnine was good. There's a couple good bits. Kind of funny, funny bit with yeah. the robot with his battery wearing down. Uh, there was Condor featuring Ray Wise in a futuristic Los Angeles. Futuristic Los Angeles is a lot of these. Uh, Ray Wise is... You is need a, a big city, you shoot in LA, why not? Ray Wise is a cop with a uh, female partner who might be falling in love with him, and also they fight a super spy in Condor. And, kinda, she, and also she's a robot. And also she's a robot. It's kind of fun. It's kind of fun. Yeah. It, okay. it could have gone somewhere. Yeah. There's uh, uh, Total Recall 2070, which I think had a lot of great ideas, but was dull. <laughs> it was it was a mayonnaise on mayonnaise sandwich. And we are concluding not, sadly, with the holy grail of this series, the show we're trying to track down more than any other, Holmes and Yo-Yo, because, <laughs> dang it, we still can't find the whole thing. Uh, we're concluding with... The most recent failed cop with robot partner show. It's a, one of our most requested shows. Mm. Let's dive right into Almost Human. In 2048, every police officer was partnered with an advanced combat model android. I got a wreck order for another synthetic. That's one of the crazy ones. There may be some bugs. <laughs> I'm not driving with one of those things. 
idea was to be as human as possible. Now I'm not like them. I was made to feel. He was programmed to feel. I was programmed to feel. Um, yeah, uh, this uh, this show aired on Fox in uh, the 2013-2014 season. It lasted 13 episodes. Yep, from November and, 17th, 2013 to March 3rd, 2014. And uh, I watched it. I was one of the three people that watched this show. No, it's actually pretty, relatively successful. It was reasonably successful. Um, it was one of those shows, kind of like Minority Report, where it was so expensive to produce mm-hmm. that it needed to be a huge hit yeah. in, in order to justify its existence. In fact, uh, a little bit of insider baseball here. I got to uh, do a set visit for the movie The Perfect Guy. Uh, if oh, you remember with, uh, that Michael movie Ely. with Michael Ely, who yeah. who stars on Almost Human, he plays the robot Dorian. And uh, I asked, you know, I had to ask him about the movie. But as he was walking away, he's like he was thanking all of the reporters. I asked, I was a big Almost Human fan. What happened? He, he kind of and he stopped and he turned around and he came back because he wanted to talk about Almost Human. It's like I love that show. I love doing that show. That was a great role. The show was evidently so expensive, and these were his words, they needed CSI numbers to keep on going. Yeah. Like, it, in order to justify its cost, it needed to literally be the biggest show on television. And that's... And being pretty successful isn't going to be enough. Yeah, that's... Uh, so, which is one of the reasons why there aren't a lot of TV shows that are made against, like, a huge backdrop like this. Uh, like, if Game of Thrones was only half as successful as it is, it would still be one of the most talked about TV shows in the world, and it would not be worth the money it makes. And it, it, it would have been cancelled after yeah. a season, maybe two. Yeah. That, that was the problem with that show Rome, as well, on HBO. Mm. That um, lasted two seasons. It, lasted, yeah, it, was, it lasted two seasons, but they had to cancel it because it was just too dang expensive to make. We had the same problem with that uh, that biblical show. Oh, of uh, Kings and Prophets. Of Kings and Prophets. Which we will have to revisit. We will, because uh, <laughs> much like Doubt, uh, the f- remaining episodes of the series eventually did drop online. Mm. Um, so we, in our, when we started this program, we got a little cocky and reviewed a couple of shows that... Got canceled after a couple canceled, episodes, yeah. and it seemed like the the interest was low, so the odds of them ever releasing the other ones were relatively small. But they did. Mm-hmm. We got to finish it. That's on me. <laughs> we'll get to it sometime this next year. It only recently. Uh, well, dropped in its entirety. Well, we'll get to it. As you can hear, we're super eager. Yeah, but, it wasn't uh, the greatest show we've ever done. But you know what I am eager to talk about? Almost Human. Is Almost Human. Yeah. Because well, uh, like I said, I watched it. It was the first maybe new TV show I had watched in maybe over a decade. Mm. Like I just fell out of new television after a while just focusing on, on films and film reviews. And t- TV, I didn't have the time or the interest in any sort of new television programs. Well, it's one of the reasons why we do this show is mm. that keeping up with new TV is hard. Uh, yeah. When you're doing when you're watching when, old TV, it's just all there. Yeah, well, especially when it's no been rush. when it's been canceled after a while. Yeah. <laughs> it's it, there's an end point as well. You can finish it. Yeah, and I've, uh, I've, I've talked to a lot of people actually who recently like maybe because of the show or maybe on their own steam have kind of gotten around to watching old finished television even if it's not like super famous there's a lot of tv shows that people watch that are older but because they feel like they watch them because one of these days will get around to lost or mm. one of these days will get around to the wire or right, one right, of these right. days will get around to the twilight zone but like there's also just like there's, there's a whole history of television yeah you can yeah. visit it at any time like it's it's right there and I, we're kind of ignoring most of it i really hate those condescending articles like it was recently an anniversary of star trek deep space nine which mm. is has 
grown in estimation over the last 20 years. Like, it, this new explosion in popularity. It was considered, show. like, a good Star Trek series, and now it's considered arguably the best Star Trek yeah, series. Yeah, yeah, it has a huge, huge following, which is I'm totally fine with. I totally don't, I don't, fine I don't want to argue any of this about yeah. Deep Space Nine, because like, I dig Like, Deep all Space Star Nine. Treks, it has some wonky bits, but it's yeah. mostly great. Yeah. Like, like the first... Season, season <laughs> and then the last season has some really dumb episodes. I, oh, and yeah, all, all of the Victimones. No, not Victimone. Uh, uh, Johnny Bravo. Johnny, the, the the lounge singer character. Yeah, uh, I'll that, that was up. kind of a strange conceit. It was so um, bizarre. But yeah, th- I read a, an article about how it, it had to kind of explain what episodic TV was. Mm. And it was... All of these articles that sort of describe episodic TV tend to Ugh. talk down on the notion. It's like, and this is what it was. We hadn't figured it out yet. You know what? That's You're talking about like decades and decades of TV history that operated under that aegis. And right? also a lot of shows... Still and do. many shows still we like we look, know what that is. A lot it's of not like a the, lot of like procedural shows still mm-hmm. rely on that. It's but, a, and, it's and, and, and all sitcoms, you know, that's all that that is. Well, they're, not they're all, sitcoms. A lot of sitcoms. Lot, no, no, they're they're arc based sitcoms now. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Where they're not like done in one like that, where you really kind of have to watch the whole thing in order to sort of pick up on like where the story is. Yeah, a little oh, bit. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's not quite the same, but yeah, there's some. Uh, the the character was Vic Fontaine. Vic Fontaine. So you were close. <laughs> uh, played by the great James Darren. That's so there right. you go. Um, who, who showed up in that movie Lucky, the the Henry Dean Stanton movie? Anyway, back to Almost Human. Almost Human aired opposite. It's amazing the show got halfway decent ratings. Uh, it aired opposite once upon a time which mm. was still newer and even more popular back then mm. the amazing race which was a hit uh, game show is that still on I, I don't know if the amazing race is still on uh, well, i haven't we, heard it from it for a, for a little we don't while. really follow uh, uh game shows very much uh, well, and I of course i watch american a, ninja warrior with my wife and it, and it premiered opposite sunday night football as well so oh, yeah. wow. that's a that's a rough one it was created by jh wyman uh who worked on fringe he wrote the movies the mexican and dead man down which is kind of an enjoyably weird crime thriller <laughs> with starring colin farrell and nomi rapaz um he also we're going to see him again at some point he also created the Cancel Too Soon series, Keen Eddie. Oh, okay. Uh, which is yeah. a cop show. I believe it's about an American cop going to Britain. Okay. Uh, cool. All right. So, uh, and, and actually, honestly, after watching Almost Human, I'm excited to see it. Uh, yeah, it stars Carl Urban from Lord of the Rings, uh, Star Trek, and Dread as Detective John Kennix, who in the pilot episode, um, he is... He loses his partner in a big gunfire and also loses his leg to a bomb. Yeah, there's a really tragic incident. There's, there's like terrorists in like this 2048 Los Angeles. There's an attack. His robot partner fails him. His human partner just dies or best friend or whatever dies and he loses his leg. He, he's in a coma for a while and when he wakes up, he's trying to get his life back together. And he's trying to remember what happened because he yeah. lost like chunks of his memory. And he's given a new robot partner and uh, initially he's given like this kind of oh. shitty robot partner well, we, that everyone has. We, we have to maybe walk back the premise a little bit here. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's 2048 in Los Angeles yeah. and as is explained... There has recently been, and there's no real flashpoint for this. It's not like we discovered this magical mineral. Like, like we, we suddenly have access to the Wakandan vibranium or something. It's yeah. just all of a sudden there was this huge jump forward in all technology. And it moved so quickly that there has been no regulation on it. 
And that's something and, that we see in real life. Like every time there's like a new social media yeah. app or something, and or or even just we've seen like the police, well, like and, the and police here, kind of scrambling to figure out how to deal with like online and, stalking. And here, and, and here recently with the whole Cambridge Analytica stuff, you yeah. can kind of imagine, yeah, what 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 the world of almost two minutes. The is technology kind of moved to. faster than our capacity to see how it would affect our lives, mm-hmm. and as a result, there is a lot of crime that is kind of taking people. Uh, uh, by surprise, so there's yeah, a whole it's lot all tech-based crime. There's a whole lot of new tech-based crime, and in order to combat this, every human police officer is given a high-tech robot partner. By the time the show begins, we realize there's been at least a couple of generations of robots. Mm. There was uh, one generation which was designed to be very human. Uh, but that generation was retired because it was too human, and apparently they got depressed. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and uh, they, they they got sad and despondent, so they they put those ones on ice, and, and they, they replaced them with a human like but very you know very lifeless. robotic behaving. Yeah, you know what? You know what? They they had uh, the the robot partners from Condor, and they replaced them with the robot partner from Future Cop. Fair, you know. Oh, oh, well, even in Future Cop, though, he was like slightly more human, like a little bit soulful. He was a little like mm. he saw the car crusher and was a little bit shocked. He had okay. some emotions. These are emotionless beings. Yeah, fair enough. Um, and I'm not sure if you noticed this when those robots speak, they they pull bits of audio, like they fast forward their language a little bit. No, I didn't notice that. Yeah, there, there's a when when they speak, it's like like I'm not sure if you've ever watched something with the audio like at one and a half speed. Sure. And what they do is they actually like pull every third frame from the audio, oh, so it sounds a tiny bit choppy. That's kind of fun. And yeah, when when those robots speak, it does have that kind of choppy quality. Yeah. So uh, when Detective John Canix is put back in in duty in uh, in, mm. in the job. Uh, he's given one of these emotionless robot partners, and he has no tolerance for it whatsoever. And when and it gets too annoying, he literally shoves it out of his car while he's in speeding traffic. And, and it, it gets like, run over by a truck. Yeah. And rather than <laughs> fire him, which they should do. That's that's destroying. That's like wrecking his car on that purpose. That cannot you know? be cheap. That's not like, hey, you threw away that notepad. That's That's government property. Mm-hmm. Like. That's like a million dollar robot. <laughs> I mean, it makes him look badass, but like, it's, it's like really irresponsible. So well, they decide to give him one more chance because uh, his boss, played by the amazing Lily Taylor, yeah, uh, she good plays casting there. She plays Captain Sandra Maldonado, mm-hmm. uh, and you know Lily Taylor from The Conjuring. I shot uh, Andy Warhol. Um, she's a- in a con- every indie film from nineteen ninety. Four and nineteen ninety eight. The addictions, one of my favorites. Like she's fantastic. She was the the photo agent in John Waters Pecker. She's been in everything. Yeah, Mystic Pizza. (laughs) I love Mystic Pizza. I digress. Um, But yeah, so she has a soft spot for for Carl Urban's character. So she gives him one more chance, and she assigns him a previous generation android, DRN O one six seven, aka Dorian. Played by Michael Ely from About Last Night, Think Like a Man, Sleeper Cell. Mm-hmm. We'll run into him again when we do Flash Forward. Uh, Michael Ely, who, a great actor, by the way. Such I think he's actor. quite. I think he's quite good. He's incredibly attractive. That might have been one of the reasons that they uh, retired the Dorians. They were just too good looking, yeah, too appealing. It's like, yeah, he, he, they step up, step out of the car. 
well, okay, attractive man. <laughs> but one of the but one of the conceits of Almost Human because we've seen a lot of the same tropes over and over and over again, mm. and Almost Human breaks quite a few of them. For example, uh, almost every other cop with robot partner story, the cop isn't originally told his partner's a robot. Mm. This time he knows. He knows right off the bat. It's standard issue. Yeah, th- this is the first time we haven't had and your robot partner is a prototype mm-hmm. conceit. Yeah, every, in fact, every, in fact, every other. In fact, he's an older model. Yeah, and he's yeah. kind of wonky. Although um, we do still have like. Like crotchety old white guy paired with like hotshot young minority, but there but the we go. difference is is that this is another one where it's also subverted in a couple of ways because Dorian is not the emotionless robot who needs to learn a lot about humanity. Mm-hmm. He's actually a very emotional robot. He was designed to have emotions and. If anything, the show isn't about some like grumpy guy learning to soften up because he's got this childlike partner. Mm-hmm. He actually has, in many respects, a more emotionally mature partner who is helping him uh-huh. lighten up and become more human. Yeah, yeah. And you know what? That works great. There's even an episode where they go to like anger management classes, and Dor- <laughs> Dorian wants to talk to him about the anger management class, and did it go well for you, and what did you talk about? And he's trying to be a grump, and Dorian's not letting him. And it's actually like really no. kind of sweet, like how quickly <laughs> they sort of they bond. Mm-hmm. And and Michael Ely has a great character here because Dorian feels things kind of without a filter. So mm. he's very He's very adolescent in a lot of ways. Adolescent but wise. Uh-huh. Like it's like an adolescent who's like achieved like a high rank in whatever Buddha. Like, <laughs> I don't know like how a, Buddhism a, a, works, but like he's he's like a, achieved a lot of enlightenment. He's a Zen teen. Kind of, yeah. Which is a, a Saturday morning cartoon that failed, I'm sure. But he's but he's he's also he's a robot. He messes up. There's one episode where another trope we see a lot is mm. what happens when the robots like lose power. <laughs> this is the best episode about a robot losing power so in, ever. In, <coughs> excuse me. In Future Cop, when the robot lo- lost uh, par- lost power, he like started saying goofy things and mm. running a little bit wonky. His yeah. battery was wearing down. It's like he was drunk. Mm. In, in this one, when he there's a like a, I think it's a solar flare. There's something problem with the sun. Yeah, and he everyone like, has solar power, so everything's yeah. charged. And there's solar flares, so, every, so everyone's solar, energy ration. Yeah, the, the solar power is like really low on the robots, and the first thing that goes is sort of his. Some of his personality subroutines, like his like his filters. And so he starts so becoming, he goes, he's beginning becoming an asshole. Yeah, he gets really grumpy and he becomes really sullen and, and kind of mean. <laughs> like when he's not he's not fully charged. It's really funny. he essentially hasn't had his coffee. Yeah, uh, rounding out the cast, mm-hmm. uh, there is Minka Kelly from Friday Night Lights, Parenthood, and the Cancel Too Soon reboot of Charlie's Angels. She plays Detective Valerie Stahl. She's got a fun character. She is what is called a Chrome which is short for, for chromosomes. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the future of 2048, people are genetically enhanced in the womb, much like we, we saw in Total Recall. We don't learn this until later in the series. But no, but they don't hide it either. Oh, yeah, like it's, it's, everyone knows it. Yeah. Um, we just don't understand what it means. Uh, yeah, so she was genetically enhanced to be like uh, smarter, stronger, more beautiful. And as we find out over the course of the series, uh, chromes are generally not the kind of people who would go into public service. <laughs> they tend to be, you know, rich capitalists. Yeah, so the yeah, fact yeah. that she's a cop is very unusual and something that I guess we would have dealt with more had the series gone on. 
we also have uh, their tech guy, uh, Rudy. Oh, I love Rudy. Rudy is played by Mackenzie Crook. He was one of the funny side characters in Pirates of the Caribbean. He, uh, he was the one with the wooden eyeball. Yeah. Uh, he was also in Game of Thrones and the original version of The Office. And much like we saw in Total Recall 2070, even though... All of their sci-fi storylines involve a bunch of different disciplines, including uh, biology, robotics, mm-hmm. hacking. Uh, Rudy, in order to make sure we don't have a whole team of tech guys, we have to pay <laughs> by the day union wages. Rudy is just an expert in everything. I, I kind of bought it from Rudy better than I bought it from the pathologist from Total Recall. It's fine with both. Uh, I, I, they're, they're, she, it's the future. She they're was my favorite character smart. in Total Recall, so that's fine. But uh, yeah, Rudy is is like... T- twitchy and nervous, and he, he always looks like he's about to burst into tears. Like, <laughs> and there's an episode where he has to go like in disguise and behave like a badass so he can like engineer a virus for some bad guys undercover, and you know he's going to fail, and that he pulls it off. Like, really, it's a really tense moment. <laughs> Is he um, going to burst into tears in front of these criminals? And then the last uh, uh, uh-huh. member of the uh, a regular cast is... Uh, Michael Irby. Michael Irby as Detective Richard Paul, who's the asshole. <laughs> uh, anyway, pretty much, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, he had small roles on Fast Five, the Kansas City series Haunted. He was in True mm. Detective Season 2, mm. uh, the one no one watched. And, uh, yeah, that's basically it. Uh, oh wait, who plays the who plays the the other robot? Because that's a, oh, that's right, a fun recurring. gag. All of the like sort of uh, generic robots, mm. the ones who have like no personality, they're all played by the same guy. Yeah, which is which is a funny little gag. Mm. Um, but, but they all look the same. Yeah, hold on here. We got to look at, look up this guy. Uh, but yeah, um, I'll, I'll look it up. You, okay, you, the, you the, uh, guide us through. So we're in we're in the near future. Everything is the the production design is really terrific because everything's really brightly lit for once. Um, yeah. You know, most of these sci-fi noirs tend to rip off Blade Runner, so everything's sort of wet and dark. Uh, yeah, this one's really brightly lit. There's a uh, you know automatic cars. Everything is sort of a gleaming white. Everything is uh, really well moneyed. And uh, yeah, after Carl Urban gets uh, Michael Ely, they start to have their relationship and they start tracking down bad guys. I I, owe, uh, I actually in, owe everyone an apology here. Uh, the MX forty three series. Uh huh. Uh, they're played by a couple of different actors, oh, but they're okay. but they reuse the same actors over and over again. Yeah, which is why yeah. I got confused. Oh, okay. uh, so they're played by uh, Darren E. Scott, uh, mm-hmm. who was in Birth of a Dragon, The Man with the Iron Fist. Yeah. Uh, they're played by Anthony Konechny, uh, who was in Fifty Shades of Grey and X Men Apocalypse, um, and Garfield Wilson, who <laughs> was in a Continuum and Bates Motel. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, there's one sort of abiding mystery at the, uh, in the pilot about Kenix's ex. Yeah. Um, kind what of this, happens this is... mystery of his ex and we don't, and she, well, he's, he's been also going to this kind of black market memory doctor. He's basically going to recall. He's, he's, like, he's more he's, or less going and they're, yeah, yeah, he's they're, trying to reassemble his memories of the horrible incident in order to find mm-hmm. out who was responsible and what he can do about it. And in the, Opening, we see him reliving this memory, and then as he is blown up, it fades to like this shot of his girlfriend, and it's kind of romanticized, like Gladiator, <laughs> and it's like, oh, did I die and see my the person I truly love? And it turns out that the reason he saw her is because she was one of the terrorists and she was using him all along. Yeah, which is a and hell of a hell of a, of a of a thing. And it and it turns out that the terrorists are also like black marketing androids. And there's a lot it. going. Yeah, on. There's a lot going on. Yeah. Um, 
it's a really tightly written show, and I love the innovative use of tech as a way of exploring crime. Um, in a lot, in all of these cop with robot partner shows that we've covered so far, most of the crimes have been pretty recognizable, mm-hmm. like usual types of crimes. What would happen if we had a super powered cop robot? In a situation, uh, you know, against a regular criminal. Yeah. And it's sort of this fantasy that we can clean things up really well. Yeah. This is much more about how we need the tech to fight the tech. Yeah. And also, in the first episode, we have uh, sex bots after the pilot. Uh, Yeah, the pilot pilot is... is more about like you know bad guys with grudges against the cops and yeah. they're just like so technologically advanced will the cops be able to stop him from killing all the cops and the, yeah, it's the, okay but like you kind of want a storyline that in a pilot episode like this especially one where you have to introduce a lot of history and, mm-hmm. and lore and rules uh you want something where the stakes are high but they're actually not super emotionally invested in it because you can't distract from the introduction to the show too much. Yeah. So the next episode, things start getting weird. <laughs> <laughs> and these were aired out of order, so I think this was like the ninth episode filmed. But only mm-hmm. anyway. And and the, uh, luckily, um, there's yeah. The only real arc is kind of the the relationship between Kenex and Dorian. Mm-hmm. There's a few. So things we don't. That, oh, there's a sorry. Well, no. There's a few things that like are introduced kind of oddly, I think, because of this. Because well, the whole assume- Chrome thing, like, was introduced later. Yeah, there's a couple of, like, aspects of the universe that are introduced, I think, kind of awkwardly, because I think they're supposed to be introduced earlier in a more mm-hmm. clear way, and now they're referenced, and we don't get to the explanation later. But, yeah, generally speaking, the only real problem with it is that Dorian and Kenix seem like they... The relationship is a little erratic. They'll mm-hmm. go from being pretty well bonded and a good unit to more combative, like other every other episode. Mm-hmm. Which honestly, I, I honestly like. As I was watching it initially, I just thought they have a volatile relationship and they they kind of love hate kind of thing. So it really didn't hurt it that much this time. But sometimes it's a real death machine. Yeah, like it just kills the show dead because you can't follow along. Like, like, review, like Earth Two, where characters die and then come back in the following episode. One of these days we're going to get to the, there are two cancel too soon series called American Gothic. And the one from the (laughs) 1990s was aired wildly out of order. Mm. And that was not an episodic show. Oh, that was actually like, there's here's this character and then later on in the show he mm. does something huge and then he's committed they would do like an episode after he was committed and then go back to when he was doing his job oh, and geez. you're just like jesus f- ah <laughs> super confusing which is either like a super arch way of telling a story or they just no, they just they just screwed up so uh episode two we find out that uh in a world where robots are reasonably realistic mm-hmm. and everywhere uh that sex bots are legal Mm-hmm. It's, it's an industry. It's a successful industry. We have they, indeed. Uh, they go to the the sex bot depot. Yeah. At one at, in one scene, and there's there's a lot of like really slinky people in lingerie and shirtless dudes, and they're just sort of like leaning against furniture and hanging out, and you get yeah. to sort of shop around. It's it's like it's like those people at like a car show who are just you know attractively dressed and just mm. ge- gesturing towards the car, but they're the car. Yeah. Like it's and it's kind of creepy actually, the, the, but the, it's also very normal in this. The, the male sex bots cracked me up in that scene because because they looked so sad to be there. <laughs> like, yeah, whatever. Just show off the abs. Um, 
And the mm. crime in this episode is we see in the opening a guy has engaged the services of a sex bot. It's supposed to be a big reveal that it's a sex bot, but she's acting so robotically it's pretty obvious. Yeah, from the and, and, and he's, also we know what show we're watching. He, he's so, and he's also so ner- in the opening scene. He's like swabbing her and like spraying her off and making mm. sure that she doesn't have any germs Taking on her. Hair uh, clippings and and uh, a bunch of guys see that this guy's acting weird with a sex bot, so they jump in. They have this cool spray that they spray on their face that makes like. They makes they their glow fa- in, on camera. Yeah, so people you can't see their face on camera. It's it's better than wearing a mask. And I'm like, that's kind of cool. Um, and they kill that guy. And now the show is getting started. Why did they kill him? And they killed him because. And I'm just going to skip right to the twist here. Uh. Uh, they have been kidnapping real women <laughs> and, and stealing their skin, grafting skin onto their sex bots in order to make their sex bots more realistic and therefore in higher demand. Mm. That is creepy as fuck. That, that's a that's a great story, isn't it? That's a that's 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 a really really creepy. Like mm. it's interesting because when we looked at almost and I don't see it, when you looked at um, Man and Machine, okay. Which had a very similar premise. It was set in the Los Angeles of the future, mm. and all the episodes, or almost all the episodes, were about some sort of futuristic kind of crime. But the difference with Man and Machine is a lot of their quote-unquote futuristic crimes were kind of almost too plausible. <laughs> like, there was one that was just like, ah, oh, it's the future, everyone's going to be internet dating. And I'm like, well, yeah. <laughs> like, that's not, that's, People that's not blowing my mind. Like, almost human has some neat ideas. <laughs> like, what is this Tinder you speak of? Ooh. And I realized it was the early 90s, but computer dating was already a thing. Like, it really wasn't <laughs> yeah, like this yeah. crazy. Like, it took me a couple episodes to realize they were trying to be futuristic. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because it was all stuff that was either on the cusp of existing or already existing mm. at the time. Um, but yeah, this is a concept where not only are there sex robots, but people are doing gruesome, horrible giallo murders in order to make them more profitable. So yeah, they're they're tracking down uh, DNA from certain young women whose skin they've taken. Yeah, there's a great bit in this one where. Uh, Kenix and Dorian are going to the scene of the crime and like a bunch of kids run up to them and he, they recognize that Dorian's robot and mm. he's like, oh, what can you do? And Oh, and, and we get his sort of his signature look. Oh, yeah, he's got like... Whenever he thinks or whenever he's processing something, yeah. like we get to see the the circuitry in his temples sort of flares up. Yeah, it looks like a like cool little, glowing tattoo or a something. A little glowing tattoo on it, a little blue yeah. glowing tattoo on his temple. So he leans forward to them and his face glows and like, woo! And then they look at, at Kenix like, what do you do? And Kenix says, whips out a knife and stabs his fake leg. And they scream in horror and run away. What can I do? I can stab myself. And, and he's like, it's fine. It's fake. I'm sorry. Uh, it's a really funny catch. Yeah. It's a really funny And once again, Dorian has to explain to Kenix what it's like to be human. <laughs> I'm a robot. And even I know that would have scared children. Dorian has, I think it's worth bringing up, like, a lot of the robots that we've dealt with are basically human, but with better processing power. Mm. Dorian actually has a lot of cool gimmicks, and I really thought out, if you were to have a police robot, what would you want it to be able to do? Mm. So Dorian can take 911 calls. Yeah, for example, which is which is a neat effect. Or, um, or he, he can like put he can like scan fingerprints or like analyze mm. blood just by touching it. So and then yeah. he can 
he can modem it out to Rudy back at the lab, and yeah. they can do the, just like that analysis thing is just a lot more streamlined. Which is a really, really well thought out police robot because we've seen a yeah. lot of them where it's just like it feels like the, you and didn't they, really think about what a police officer would need in the field. But they don't go too far with it. Like it doesn't yeah. have like some new superpower every episode, and, no. because, and you have trouble keeping track of what he can do after a while. There's one episode in which there's a big car chase, and Dorian flips a truck over, mm-hmm. and everyone's like. We didn't know he could do that. But it's not like this cool feature. It's actually like worrying. Yeah. Like, yeah. is he broken? Is his torque too high? Like, what? <laughs> is this some sort of conspiracy <laughs> is thing? Is this going to be too high? I don't know. Like, I don't know how machines work, but like, it just feels like he shouldn't be able to do that. Mm. And they bring it up one more time when they're sort of eyeing him suspiciously as if mm. there might be something wrong with them or you're, it might be programmed weird. You picked up a bush once. Um,. <laughs> <laughs> little reference to Mystery Man again. Uh, there was also a, an episode where he, like, they were trying to shout down during a car chase, like, shout down a, a mm. the person they were pursuing. And, and it turns out he's the loudspeaker. Yeah, he's got a megaphone on his yeah, mouth. So. That's too. <laughs> um, they so, had to remind him to stick his head out the window when he was doing that. Um, also, he's one of the few robots we've ever seen who has a colloquialism mode. That's right. Because he so actually he, can speak in euphemisms and understands humor. But he doesn't use it so well. Like in the, I think it's just in the pilot, but he keeps on saying, it's okay, man. He keeps on calling everybody man. Yeah. And it's it's Michael Ely does it just wrong enough that you realize he doesn't know what he's quite doing. A part of me thinks that might be a joke reference to man and machine. I sure hope so. Wouldn't that be nice to know that? <laughs> Wouldn't that be fun to believe that? The, That'd the, be super the great. The J.H. Wyman was watching Man and Machine and thought, I know. Um, also, Dorian can like sort of do things on the internet. He can multitask like no one's business. So mm. like in this episode when they're about the sex bots, you know, Kenix has been out of commission for a while. He's been in a coma and his girlfriend was a terrorist mm. and he hasn't dated in a long time. And while they're talking about it, and Kenix is like, I, I'm fine. I don't need anybody. He's like, I just created an online dating profile. <laughs> <laughs> Found a good picture. Yeah. It's yeah. Okay. It's up. Oh, you got a call. <laughs> it's a funny gag. Yeah. It's an amusing gag. There's Although a, th- there's a bit where, uh, he, and I think this is in the, the very next episode, in fact, where uh, Kenix goes down to the like the Robo Depot, mm-hmm. where they all kind of charge up for the night, and they sleep in these little Borg alcoves. And <clears throat> he accidentally sees a robot with its pants off, the, like uh, a, uh, another another one of the sort of the the, the plain other helper bots, the and, MX series, the MX yeah. series, and yeah. and he sees that they're like Ken dolls; they don't have genitals. And it and weirds he, him and out. And he's like, oh, that's so weird. I can't think of, I, uh, like, not seeing a penis was strange to me. Yeah. And, it, and he actually, you know, asks, like, you don't, what are you, what are you, what are you packing, <laughs> essentially? And Dorian's like, and Dorian's no, like that's, that's really personal, but. My creator was very generous. And he's, and he's like, I want me to show you. Like, no, I don't. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> so, wow. So evidently, he's really well equipped. Fully functional, <laughs> as David would say. a good line here where he says, what do you do with that? And Dorian says, same thing you do. Mostly nothing. <laughs> Find a way to be like a little crude, but without being like super broy about yeah, it, which I appreciate. Yeah. It was actually pretty fun. Uh, so the next episode, um, it's a hostage the, episode. Yeah, and this one actually has a couple of fun premises to it. Um, you know, terrorists hijack a building. It's all an mm. elaborate heist or whatever. But well, I'll give away the twist there. It's Die Hard. Uh, it's not. <laughs> they're doing it's, a Die Hard. It's episode. a hostage situation which they're using as cover for a heist. But one of the things they do is they, you know, that bit from the end of Ghostbusters where Gozer is at the top of a building, but they can't use the elevator, mm. so they have uh, to they have to walk up like a hundred stories. Uh-huh. 
that's half this episode. <laughs> it's them just like they they decide. Okay, listen, we'll take the stairs. We'll flank them. We don't have a plan. We have a hundred stories to figure it out. <laughs> we'll be fine. So they just they they walk up there and it takes forever and they find a couple of different ways. How can we make this stairwell interesting? And that's when they start taking nine one one calls mm. and trying to talk various hostages out of this horrible situation. Um, they also have something which. It's a kind of technology you'd think would come up more often. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have the bad guys have holographic masks. Yeah, they like have a thing where on the neck and it projects a different face, and that's a great sci-fi idea. But everyone would use that all the time. Well, I, I'm guessing it's not too common. Like it, it's one of those things that you know it's really unregulated, and I think only like the richest of criminals can afford that sort of thing. Only a matter of time before you can pick it up at a Best Buy. <laughs> Best Buy will exist in 24. <laughs> oh my god! I'm gonna go down there and get some CD. Oh. Uh, uh, let's see what we got here. Oh, and this is the episode where he gets shot in the head, and uh, Kanix has to use gum to fix his brain. That's really fun. <laughs> like he's just—he's shot in the head, and much like a lot of like, much like the, like uh, the robots in Twenty Seventy, uh, he's got like a lot of goop in there. Mm. But like, apparently, everything inside of him is like some some sort of shade of purple. It's, so all, he's just all, like all circuitry is purple. So so or different shades of it anyway. So Kanix is just like, okay, what do I do with this wire? You need to connect the violet wire. To the mauve wire, yeah. <laughs> and you're just like, what the? F-? I don't know. <laughs> oh, that's pull, pull. Like, pull, pull on the magenta wire. Ow, ow! That was the lavender wire. <laughs> They're all purple. <laughs> Like so shoves bubble gum. Is yeah, and he just reaches into a, a like a, a, a nearby trash bin in the office and just sticks gum in his head. It's really <laughs> sticks his hole shut with gum. That's really fun. Um, <laughs> there's a fun bit where like they're trying to like keep a hostage calm, and John tells a story about ice fishing, mm. and Dorian just can't get over how boring the story is. <laughs> it's like you know, hey, you know, it would be interesting, John, if you told me that story about ice fishing again. <laughs> I don't know why. It's something that's, they have such a good rapport. Like uh. Carl Urban is an actor who doesn't get a lot of credit. I think he's got off on a kind of a badass kick because most people recognized him first from Lord of the Rings, where he played uh, Aom this like badass soldier mm-hmm. you know cavalryman um and then he started doing a bunch of action movies like doom or the born supremacy and everyone kind of thought he was going to be the next badass action guy but whenever he actually has an opportunity to have a lot of personality he's mm-hmm. even better like he's actually real. i remember when they cast him as bones in the star yeah, trek reboot uh-huh. i was like really i don't quite see it he's really funny he's- He's, he's really likable as Bones. I like him as Bones. He, he also does the of of that cast. He does the best impersonation of the actor who came before him. I think he does a really good DeForest Kelly. That's in, true in that one. Uh, like Chris Pine is not trying to do Shatner. Oh, at all. At most, all. most of them aren't. Uh, yeah. uh, Zachary Kinto, I think, is doing okay. A, a little bit, but I think he's doing. Carl Car- Urban's really kind of the star there. Um, Carl Urban also again. He, was, he has a kind. Yeah. He has sort of a like a kind of a dark brow. Um, mm-hmm. kind of like a heavy brow, a and, furrowed and, and, brow, and, and looks, yeah. and he sort of he he can put on good mean face, mm-hmm. and I think that got him pretty far. <laughs> well, and he was and he was really really great in Dread, the reboot mm-hmm. of Judge Dread, which I maintain is one of the better sci fi action movies of the decade. I love that movie, <laughs> um, but. What's kind of weird is that there's actually a lot of elements of Dread that kind of find themselves into almost human. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of which is whenever they arrest someone, they say they're going to put him in the cubes. And I'm like, that's a very specific term. We don't really use that term. Mm-hmm. So they they had to know. 
that they took that from Dread. Carl Urban. Ur- this was made after Dread. Carl Urban must have said something. You know, that's you know, that's from Dread, right? You know, that's a thing. Or or maybe you just thought, oh, that's that's just future slang. That's a common thing. There's the al- cubes. There's also uh, uh, it's also kind of a mega city. As we discover later in the series, but we'll get to oh, that wow. in a minute. Mm-hmm. Uh, the next episode is um, oh, another cop uh, cop show cliche: the psychic witness. <sighs> that's a little odd, and it? yeah, we, did, and we saw is, psychics uh, in twenty seventy, but even then, they kind of shied away from it. There is uh, two women they witnessed a murder. And uh, one of them is killed, and because they're like in protective custody, they give their testimony via hologram in mm. the office, in the court, which is kind of cool, actually. But then while she's so, on the stand, someone breaks in the door and kills her, which is a really horrifying scene. Uh-huh. But then the other witness escapes, and the other witness is psychic. Is this important? Literally, it's not. She's, like it doesn't affect the story at all. Th- yeah, that that she's she's just a, she's just a kooky. Uh, witness, yeah, and that's another. That's the cop show cliche they're really going for. Not just that she's psychic, but that they have to look after some some crazy witness that they wouldn't ordinarily look after, like but, a, li- a little kid or a really crazy lady or some such. But thing. we've and, seen the psychic character in a cop show so mm-hmm. often at this point that you, you we, I saw where the episode was going, and when it didn't go there, I was almost disappointed because I actually, <laughs> I really liked the actor who played her, oh. uh, whose name I sadly did not write down. I am not on my game this week. No. I did not plan everything out. Um, but the main uh, 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 gag... Uh-huh. Uh, is that the person who killed the witnesses looks exactly like the person who is actually in police custody. And one of the first things they say is, twin brother? We checked. now." <laughs> I'm really glad, because every once in a while they're like, it's so improbable, and then it's a twin brother. And it like, turns oh. out it's a clone. Yeah, he actually created an army of clones of himself that he is trained to be badass criminal gang. Mm-hmm. That's okay. You know, silly. Why do we have a psychic in that episode? <laughs> Can we just have a badass army of evil clone men? That's fine. Like that's that's enough. That's, that's enough. That's neat. Um, but yeah, this is the one where Dorian uh, uh, flips mm. over a truck. That's always fun. It's a couple of cool action sequences, but really, that's that's about it. Then there's the uh, next episode. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you didn't put down good news either this uh, week. No, I uh, sure didn't. The is... next one is the drugs episode. No, no, the next one is the artificial heart episode. Oh, I guess we skipped over the drugs episode. No, I don't think we did. Okay. Um, uh, okay, well, the artificial heart episode, uh, arrhythmia, uh, was uh, we get to see oh, a little sorry, bit of... we did skip over that. Yeah, I apologize. We'll, we'll go back. Uh, well, okay. The artificial heart, uh, the guy goes into a hospital. We get to see how medicine in the future is really just overrun. You go into a really crowded 7-Eleven to get your stuff done. And uh, everything doesn't work. Everything's underfunded. You get mm-hmm. your diagnosis from behind glass from a, a, an automated hologram. It's essentially WebMD. And uh, a guy breaks in. He says, I need surgery right away. He pulls a police gun and says, you have to give me surgery in the next few minutes or I'm dead. And they don't give him surgery in the next few minutes. And his heart pretty much explodes. Mm-hmm. And it turns out that there's been a new market in black market organs that have timers on them. And unless you pay your organ bills on time, the organs will fail by design. And that's pretty sick. And that's kind of plausible, isn't it? <laughs> uh, that's actually been done in films before. Uh, Repo Man with Jude Law. Yeah, where they, they come and take your organs out of your body yeah, if, if you, you haven't paid for them. Yeah, which is which is really, really fucked up. Also the uh, pre- premise of Repo, the genetic opera. Mm, which I actually haven't seen. Um, uh, the actress I was thinking... What? 
It's not as good. Not as good as you've heard. The, uh, the actress who played uh, the psychic is Megan Ferguson. Keep an eye on her. I think she's going to be huge. Okay. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah. So, in, in this one, when mm. you die, if you have an artificial organ, mm-hmm. uh, the artificial organ has to be destroyed because it is illegal to sell used organs. Yeah. But what happens, they find, is that there is a, a mortician who hasn't been doing that and has been selling him on the black market, and when they find him, he's actually really contrite. And he's just like, look, I know it's wrong, but this is the difference between someone living and someone dying. Mm-hmm. These organs are extra- incredibly expensive. People can't why, really why let afford them. them. Waste, yeah. I thought I was just handing them off to someone, and yeah, someone's going to make a profit off of it, but it's still cheaper than getting the the real deal. But what he doesn't realize is that there's actually like a timer on all of them, mm. and uh, that's how they keep it goes from a quick payday to a perennial constant windfall where everyone's constantly chasing a ticking clock and they actually deal with the consequences of prosecuting this crime because when they arrest everyone they they what they realize is that we're sentencing all these people to die all like, the, the people who currently have organs or need them yeah they need them to constantly reset these things so when we arrest them we're killing all these people mm. but it's the right thing to do is it in this context? <laughs> what do we do here? And that's actually like a good moral dilemma. Yeah, talk, that's actually talk about the, yeah, the, the morality of the law. Yeah. Um, but it turns out that the mortician was actually like the mastermind the whole time. Um, yeah. Whoops. Basically. Hmm. Uh, but yeah, this was a really What's, good, emotionally heavy episode hmm. with a concept they followed through to its logical storytelling and hmm. thematic uh, uh, conclusion. I appreciated that. Here's that a really question good. for you. What's your favorite... TV mortician. Because <laughs> there have been a lot over the years. Every, uh, every cop show, every cop procedural has a, a mortician in anyone it. Anyone who doesn't eat a sandwich over the corpse. You don't like that? It always pisses me <laughs> off. I don't know why. It or really, when they smoke. My favorite my favorite like mortician ever was actually in... Um, it's not in a movie. It is in a movie. It's in uh, Raising Cane. The mortician here. Oh, the, where she... Is, is she the one who gives... Oh, no, she's the psychologist who gives him, like, that big walk and talk. Oh, right. That's Frances Sternhagen. You're right. I'm sorry. Yeah. I was thinking she was the mortician. I well, don't know if I, I have one. The, the mortician in The Relic is pretty... I mean, she's, like, sort of a boilerplate, wisecracking mortician, but, mm-hmm. you know... She's like, I'm going to weigh this brain. Hey, wait a minute. It's really light, even for a man. You know, she, she gets to, like... As, as opposed to women who have better brains. It's, well, I uh, say, Okay. <laughs> Not in front of firing all cylinders today. Yeah, I, it, it, the wisecracking mortician is is a character I always like, and uh, I I really liked the one in Freaky Links because it was uh, Jeffrey Combs. Oh, that is and, that is the and best. and he was not uh, he was not freaky at all. He was actually kind of a normal, boring guy who was just excited to be talking about this stuff. You know what? With somebody you're, who was interested. You know what? You're right. That is my favorite. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> partially also because he's Jeffrey Combs. Also, he he Jeffrey, love Jeffrey, Jeffrey Combs. Jeffrey freaking Combs. Uh, okay. Anyway, let's go back to the drugs episode. Yeah, the um, bends. So in this one. Um, there are future drugs, and they're trying Makes to stop sense. the future drugs. It's called Nuke, and it comes in cassette cases. Oh wait, that's that's RoboCop too. Uh, remember that in RoboCop too? They had that yes, future drug, that and it came too. in audio cassette cases because the drugs have advanced, but our music technology hasn't. Um, so uh, they it, they need someone to go undercover in this drug ring mm. uh, in order to prove that a cop who was Kenix's friend wasn't dirty. Uh, in order to go into the cover in the drug room, they need someone who actually knows chemistry, and the only person they know and trust is Rudy, who 
has always been kind of the funny guy off to the side who explains shit, and here he gets to take center stage. Mm-hmm. Um, he actually kind of embraces it and likes dressing up a bit. Like he's he's very <laughs> they, charming. They, they ask him to go undercover, and he comes out in like a pinstripe suit and a hat, and he's like super stylish. Like and they're like, we veto the hat. You're, like, you're, ah. you're a drug chemist. You wouldn't dress like that. <laughs> what I love about the chemistry in this show is uh, Rudy gets. T- it looks like something out of an Ed Wood movie. There's like buzzing uh, Jacob's ladders and these gigantic tubes full of neon green liquid that he's constantly swizzling around. Yeah. It looks like the fakest thing in the world. <laughs> and it's so cool looking. Aww. Like uh, like it, <laughs> it it gives the show kind of a, a fun B sci-fi edge that I appreciate, actually. It doesn't detract from the realism of it. it well, because all. almost every cop show when they deal with science they have to fudge it a little bit. Yeah, so you, know? you may as well make it look like a 1950s B film. And again, almost human. It's it's a sci-fi series set in 2048 where there are robots and shit. Like, have some fun. Yeah. <laughs> so Rudy goes undercover. Turns out he's pretty good at it. Like he does some stupid stuff that's funny for us as the audience, but he mm-hmm. convinces them. The big twist is is that like the head of the narcotics department uh, is, is actually is the, one the, of the narcotics officers in the, the yeah. police department. Uh, I I liked seeing that that character is played by Benito Martinez from The Shield, Mm -hmm. uh, kind of subverting his uh, very um, stern, uh, moral high ground character Mm -hmm. from The Shield. You ever watch The Shield? Nope. It's fantastic. I, I, I think I saw one episode of The it's Shield. It's really great. Like right. it's it's one of the top two cop shows ever. Like it's right. really amazing. Um, so that was fun, and I liked I liked seeing yeah. it. Uh, then we have the uh, I guess we're, if we're going to skip back into our order, we're yeah. up to the uh, the Die Hard with a Vengeance episode. Where oh, we have yeah. uh, or, or the jigsaw, or the, the jigsaw episode where yeah. he straps bombs around people's necks and they have to do what he says via remote, otherwise he'll blow up their heads. Uh, it's pretty typical. Yeah, honestly, it's the kind of thing you could do now because the yeah. whole gag is he's doing it for attention on the internet. Like it's mm-hmm. it's a, it's futuristic because the bomb technology is different, but. Basically, this is a show you could do in almost any cop show now. Yeah, there, there's one scene, and, and it's just padding where they have to defuse a bomb, and Dorian and Kenex are there together, like with the victim talking with the victim. That was a pretty good scene. Yeah, because it's and really uh, intense. The person needs to be calmed down, and and, yeah. and and there is we are introduced to a new technology that when they realize that they find a guy with a bomb, and the bomb's going to go off in like 30 seconds, and they realize they just can't help him. Mm-hmm. That they they're able to like hastily construct like a force field or like a dome force field that around him. That will contain the explosion. Will contain the explosion because it's a big bomb it'll blow up like you know a city block but it's transparent so they can see the guy pleading for his life mm-hmm. and like tell my wife I love boom yeah. <laughs> and it's real tragic and mm. I like that Almost Human although it is a fun show with cool robot fights and shit mm. you know they really let the human moments stand well, and, and that's and really hard to pull off they got a good balance I, I understand that it, you know there's a lot of action in the show and there are a lot of chases but it's not predicated on the action which I appreciate yeah. it's you know it's a cop procedural it's predicated on the mystery and the investigation and it's a sci-fi show and it's predicated on the tech yeah. um, I want to pause here and oh, don't pause the show oh okay <laughs> I want to I want to pause here and just sort of comment on uh, the use of technology and the way the writers cleverly incorporate it. Because I've seen a lot of sci-fi in my day. I've seen a lot of bad sci-fi in my day. Mm -hmm. And it's really – I've realized how rare it is that they actually give thought to – 
the consequences and the actual practical application of future tech in a real world context. This is something in science fiction. This is something we've seen a lot of robot cop shows kind of toy with, but actually kind of airball. Mm. Like something like Total Recall 2070 and Man and Machine, where they did a similar thing, where almost every episode was about some sort of futuristic element. It felt like they were making it up as they went yeah. along, yeah, and they yeah. didn't really think about like all of the various ramifications this would have on society. With Almost Human, the world building was really necessary, and it's clear they did it from the beginning, and they and, really thought out what all this would mean mm. to every aspect of society, and it's all there. It's all it's all there, and yeah. they're not. It feels real. They're not so focused on like one aspect of it that we're forgetting the rest of the world. We under, in fact, I think the showrunner probably when he's creating the show uh, realized that the criminals are kind of the main characters, and what would they do with advanced technology, mm-hmm. and then how would the cops respond to that? The criminals are ahead in well, every in every episode, and that's true in a lot of ways in real life, where mm-hmm. if the cops are uh, equipped to deal with some sort of way to stop your drug running mm-hmm. ring or, or whatever racket you got going on, you have to think ahead of them, and yeah. there, there's a lot of investment in trying to stay ahead of the police. Mm-hmm. Makes perfect sense. You, you think of something like like Man and Machine or any of the other cops with robot partnerships. They're essentially taking the RoboCop riff, whether they came before or after. Mm. Whereas crime is just really bad now. It's recognizable crime, but it's just like a lot of robberies, a lot of violent crime, a lot of assault in the street, a lot of looting and rioting. It's all pretty much typically the same type of criminal dystopia. And the criminals aren't using super tech. They're using just regular guns. It's just the the usual thing much worse. This is the first time where the criminal... Well, I guess Total Recall, but... That was sort of like this weird corporate entity that was committing a lot of the crimes. Yeah, the, here the, like the street criminals and the gang members and the gangsters all have the tech first, and a lot of that tech and, is and yeah. The showrunners clearly thought about what kind of crimes they could commit with what technology technology might look like, and all of the tech feels relatively plausible, like that hmm. spray that makes you like hard to see yeah, in, well, in a video. I mean, that's we have that kind of now with people who are trying to like put like these like see through plates over their license plates so they can't be caught on mm-hmm. uh, you know cameras at like yeah, intersections. Yeah. Like that's I don't know how well they work, but I know it's a thing that people talk so about. You, you could you can ima- you can imagine that being a thing at the yeah. very least. I'm um, not sure about you know actual human robots. Another but, thing, but I'm okay with robots. Another thing I, I like about this show, and 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 I know part of it is an extension of trying to keep the budget down, but it's also good world building. It's 2048. That's about 20 years in the future. 25 when the show came out. Mm. There are still old cars. Yeah, like it's yeah, not yeah. like they're trying to make everything look super futuristic. The, Los Angeles hasn't been completely redesigned. There are mm. some new buildings and there's some new technological stuff out there, but mostly it's recognizable because I've been in Los Angeles for over 25 years. It mostly looks the same. <laughs> there's like there's there's a new train system. I'm, I'm amazed the, we got that up in 25 years. Especially <laughs> if you go out to like Chatsworth or yeah. Almaty or something. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's just, mostly it's things don't change as dramatically as we think they will in science fiction. When uh, 2001 came out in 1968. It was wishful fucking thinking. <laughs> like it's just like we're not going to have a space station in twenty fifty. No, I, I see why you think that might mm. happen because we're like really optimistic. But no, um, the other thing I like about this, so this is the energy rationing episode, and it has one of the best right. openings of an episode mm. I've seen in a while. Because again, Dorian is the sensible one. He's the nice, healthy <laughs> guy, and the episode opens with the asshole detective just saying, "Okay, we got energy rationing going on. I don't like it any more than you do." The MXs have to have charging priority, and then Dorian comes in, just walks into the room, and punches that guy in the face. <laughs> and he 
he's just like, why do they have priority? I need, I need to recharge. I'm freaking out. It's like, it's like his Paxil ran out, and he's just like a complete mess. He's also uh, like, and he just starts like just wonking out and saying weird things. So while he's like diffusing a bomb on someone's necks, and just says, "Ma'am, if I say anything wildly inappropriate, I apologize." <laughs> and then he gets, and then he gets like, he gets shot or blown up slightly or something like that, and he's only speaking Korean. Like he's just right. really starts, but this actually has one of the best ticking clock things I've ever seen because mm. well, the, a literal ticking clock. Yeah, Kenix has is is next on the list because he diffused the bomb mm. and uh, he's got the bomb around his neck and they can't go get him or the bomb will go off. So Dorian has to like get to the top of a building where the guy is like operating mm. this whole thing remotely. But Dorian's charge is ticking down to zero and mm. will he get to him in time? And it gets him to just one punch in time and says, "I got it." <laughs> it's such good suspense. It works really, really great. Mm. Um, the next episode, we have Carl Urban in, in anger management classes. Mm. Um, and he's trying too hard to convince everyone that he's good. Oh, is this the one with the, the tracking bullets? This is the one with tracking bullets. Oh, I just right. want to say, I just Carl Urban has a terrible joke here that he sells really, really well, mm. where he's just talking to everyone in the anger management class like off camera. Mm. It's like, I'm just really impressed with how good we're doing. He's good. You're good, right? You're good, Steve. Anal, you're good. It's Anil. Sorry. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I wonder if Carl Urban faked, like, I, just came up I'm, with that. I think that whole scene might have been improvised. Because nobody's responding. He's just sort of pointing off camera. He's probably pointing to crew people is what he's doing. And there's yeah. Steve. He's, there's a guy at the craft service table. Oh, I'm sorry. The the Dorian speaking Korean is actually in this episode. I got it confused. Because Tony oh, gets shot right, by... Right. Yeah, because it turns out there's actually homing oh, bullets. Right, right, they can shoot them from across town, and they'll find their target. Mm. Which is cool, but it's actually kind of difficult to dramatize because everything's really far away from each other. So this episode mm. actually didn't make much of an impression. Well, on the problem is, okay, we created this bullet that can track you down. Why does it need to be a, a bullet? Like, if it can just sort of fly and hit somebody, Why not just like you don't need to fire it out of a gun, well, right? Well, we have drones everywhere. Yeah. We've established this. Just have drones with a gun in it. Yeah, like little just floating assassination machine. It, it, it does... I stopped to talk about the tech. That that part's a little bit dumb. Yeah, they're, they're, um, they can't all be winners, right? Yeah, uh, there we go. I, there was an episode of I think it was Star Trek Voyager where somebody had invented a phaser that could shoot through walls. Maybe it was Deep Space Nine. No, I don't, they I don't were like, that. I, it must have been Voyager because I didn't. I yeah, seen like, all of Deep Space Nine, but that wasn't it. Like I could go through walls and come out the wall and kill a person on the other side. And yeah. right. so episode nine is the best episode of Almost Human. Is this the Gina Carano this episode? Is the Gina Carano. Yay! So it opens with a robot committing mm. uh, a mugging, basically. Yeah. And he evades the cops for a bit. Danica. Yeah, he, he, the robot evades the cops for a bit. The robot is taken out of commission and brought into the evidence locker, where it immediately wakes up, pulls out the severed head of Gina Carano from an evidence locker, puts it on its own head, and Gina Carano walks out killing everybody. And that's when we find out that after Dorian's class of robots uh, failed, and they failed because the, the pressures of the job pushed them too hard, and they started becoming like emotionally unstable... Um, they, the inventor of those robots tried to come up with a new, more badass, like, you know, just emotionally hollow model mm. that was, he made one of them. It mm. was Gina Carano from, you know, Fast and Furious 6 and Haywire. She's awesome. Actual fighter, uh, mm. actual badass can kill you with her fingers. Yeah. Great presence. <laughs> if, they ever, if they ever do another Terminator, I know they always say they will, but I'll believe it when I say it. Mm. If they ever do another Terminator, oh, she should be the Terminator. I don't want another like, Terminator. She'd be uh, great. I just want another Haywire. Well, she, I guess she already was the Terminator yeah. here, but uh, so he invented... I was like, about to say, she's playing killer robot in this yeah, one. It was, it was fun. Fair enough. So proof positive that she could do it great. <laughs> he 
invented one prototype model of this other robot, and it was in a standoff with the cops for three days and killed hundreds of people. So it's like, and you buy it because it's Gina Carano. There's there's like a, a there's a great dramatic trope that doesn't get trotted out enough, um, which is basically just you talk about someone for half the movie before mm. they're introduced. So whenever they're introduced, it feels like oh my god, it's, it's them. And the, the best Harry, ex- Harry, Harry Lime syndrome. Harry Lime. Orson Welles's character is talked about in hushed tones for an entire half of a movie, and when he finally pops his head up in an alleyway, you're just like, everything is awesome now! And it's a cheap, dramatic gag, but he, it works. He smirks once, and you're like, wow, what a great character! He just he just smiled. He did nothing. You don't know, you know nothing about this guy, except you've been talking about him for 45 yeah, minutes. Yeah, it's, it's rumor-mongering, but it works great. So everyone is so scared of Gina Carano that it's great. So they they track down her inventor, John Larroquette. <laughs> From Night Court! Yay! John Larroquette is wonderful. He was also the voiceover guy in the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Um, John Larroquette is the inventor of these robots. He feels terrible about everything that's happened. He's actually kind of inspired to meet Dorian that he's still working and it makes him feel better. And Dorian met his Mm. creator. Oh my God, how amazing is this? And then it turns out he was behind it all along. And he's been using Gina Carano to steal various (laughs) parts, like high-tech parts he couldn't get otherwise so he can build a new robot army. And an even more badassier robot army. But this basically boils down to awesome fight between Kenix, Dorian, and Gina Carano, <laughs> which is great and totally worth the price of admission, and it's super cool. And it also is the other element of this world that they've mentioned once before in passing, and it was really weird. Hmm. And now it's super important. The Wall. That's right. And this is where we find out that <clears throat> Los Angeles in 2048 is completely walled off, like the city in Attack on Titan. And they don't explain what's on the other side other than nobody wants to go there. And the episode ends with John Larroquette escaping by going over the wall. Now, to the best of my knowledge, I tried looking it up. To the best of my knowledge, the creators of the show never explained what was over the wall. Like, they didn't say in an interview, by the way, it was going to be zombies. They never said yeah. it. Well, I'm, I'm glad it wasn't something stupid like zombies. I think that would have gone too far. I, I think it did illustrate, though, that the cities are not um, not connected to the rest of the world. That right. they're, they're walled off in that there's just sort of wasteland out there. Mm. Could be a shanty town. There's just no tech out there is the point. Maybe. They're like maybe. these little islands of super tech and then everybody – or there's just nothing. Maybe there's nothing. Maybe uh, uh, L.A. has become a gated community. where mm. this Because we see like – later on we see that there are some homeless, but they're all at the edge of the city, like literally at the wall. Yeah. And they're kind of being marginalized to push out as far as they can. But this is a town of extreme affluence in every single regard. And it's possible that this is a almost like uh, the city and land of the dead, where everything is just like yeah, the, yeah. the rich so people get like, this awesome city. There's one and mall, gets, and everybody else is outside. It's a crap yeah. country, <laughs> you know. Like that might be the case. That's what I think is probably the case. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, you know, some of the creators of Fringe and they kind of you know really blew my mind with some of the stuff they did with alternate realities and stuff. So maybe they had something bigger involved. Mm-hmm. Who knows? Um, Anyway, that is a great episode. It's a really, really great episode. A lot of great revelations. The action is amazing. And it should have been the season finale because the show actually takes a bit of a dip in quality, I think, from here on out. Which is weird because maybe they just they knew which ones were the better ones and they front-loaded the show. Maybe. So that's why they reordered it. But anyway. That's probably the case. But if they had staggered it a bit, it would have been like, okay, here's an okay episode, mm-hmm. but here's another great episode because it feels like all of the meh episodes are, are coming up. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, the next episode is about... 
Chrome episode. Yeah, there's a bunch of genetically engineered kids who are dying from an overdose from a designer drug, and the designer drug is literally designed for your DNA, mm-hmm. which is an interesting idea. Uh, they don't really no. go anywhere with it. It turns out there's a machine that makes that, and it's not working good because someone doesn't like those kids because those kids did something bad. Thanks. Yeah, uh, well, it's one of those purity things, you know. Do, do you are you a natural born or are you a chromosome mm-hmm. and uh, or and be- chrome and. Uh, yeah, I, I do like the notion that the designer drug in the future can be designed to you personally. Mm-hmm. And do exactly what you want it the, to do. That's a neat idea. And that's a neat idea, but the problem is they kind of did that in the pilot. Yeah. Only it was a vi- it was like a virus in the pilot. Something or like Something that. about how – we didn't actually mention this, but in the pilot they said that cops were injected with some sort of like – um, I guess it was like a, a drug. Um, it, mm. it was part of their medical uh, yeah. checkup. They give they give cops a very specific type of inoculation. Yeah, and in the future, like some criminals figure out a way to target specifically that inoculation that would make them vulnerable to a certain kind of attack. And I feel like that idea of sort of like gearing death toward your genes or toward something that's already in your blood Mm -hmm. was something we did already. It kind of was. And by this point, the exploration of the whole Chrome lifestyle, we see Minka Kelly deal Mm. with the sort of class of people she didn't like before, but she likes him now. Mm. Just not super invested. Also, this one was clearly supposed to be earlier because John has a drug problem that we saw in the pilot and yeah. didn't get mentioned again yeah. until now and the idea was he was taking memory enhancing drugs to try to remember more about his girlfriend and try mm. to solve that long lasting crime but over the course of the episode he realizes that drugs are bad okay <laughs> the next episode uh, is I, I think it plays fine like it, it, it was just something that was percolating in the background that we never really bothered to address and now we're finally addressing it the next episode I think is the weakest episode uh, mm. this is the one uh, that is about death by security system that's a good oh, opening. Oh, yeah. The opening yeah. is really cool. We find the, out the, house, the house kills the, the guy. Yeah, like those, these, this rich couple has a security system that uses, you know, you trespass on their property, they're allowed to use lethal force, but they have like turret guns. <laughs> like it's, it's really overdone. And apparently some kid like, you know, wound up on their property and died and they're going to trial for it and they think they're going to be okay, but they don't know. And uh, then someone hacks their house's security system and like, seals off their swimming pool while one of them is swimming in it so she's going to drown then the husband goes in and tries to crack it and then he's shot by the turret guns on top of her so she drowns looking at her dead shot husband and you're like this is intense (laughs) it's a really intense opening for an episode that really doesn't go very far because it turns out hackers be hacking that that it my thought was that it was going to be like Demon Seed, where the yeah. house had sort of gained sentience, and what do we do about a sentient house that wants to protect itself? That could and, be cool. And I've seen that in science fiction shows before, we've but I want to see has, it here. That's we've seen, fine. We've seen that Dorian has some consciousness and a sense of self-preservation. Why yeah. wouldn't any other robot that's sufficiently advanced? Yeah. Like You could have gone somewhere with that. They did they not. Are, no, it's it's not an intelligent house that yeah. wants to breed with Julie Christie. It's Turns just... out there's a hacker who was mad that that other kid died. Now she's trying to hack him, and it ends up in some kind of hacker fight where people are hacking. Mm. And like this one hacker, just like, oh, she's good, but I'm better. Tickety tickety tack, and it's just like. You know what? I'm done. <laughs> Moving on. Uh, Greg, Greg Proops had a really funny bit. He always hates in movies where somebody leans really close to a computer screen, hits a button, and says, gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> 
See, I think that's the best part. <laughs> it's like such a stupid moment. You're just looking at a computer screen. There's no drama there whatsoever. Uh, the next episode is the obligatory Michael Eklund episode. I'm not entirely <laughs> sure when Michael Eklund became our go-to TV serial killer, but it seems mm. like that's mostly when I see him. Uh, he's a good actor, but he's I, found a niche, and his niche is the creepy guy. And uh, he has a creepy M.O. Um, mm-hmm. no, not that a serial killer needs a futuristic M.O., but why not? It's a sci-fi series. It's a sci-fi a series. We have a futuristic serial killer who's stealing your face. Yeah, he's he's got, uh, he's disfigured mm-hmm. uh, because of an experiment gone wrong. Uh, and he is killing beautiful people. And, and sucking use, out their beauty. Using <laughs> nanobots to like suck out all of their genetic code and stuff and then injecting his face so he can have the ideal face. His dream face. And his dream face is Michael Eklund. Kind of specific. <laughs> I think it's interesting. Michael Eklund is a handsome actor, but um, like if you were gonna like go for it, like wouldn't you wanna be like I, I don't know, I'm trying to think of like the Michael the, Ely, maybe? Uh, yes. <laughs> perfect example right here because like yeah it's fine but it's just it's going so hardcore to try to look specifically like michael mm. eklund and i'm just like okay uh, there, there was an episode of you gotta, you gotta type there's an episode of friday the 13th of the series that i was thinking of while watching this one where uh, about a guy who finds a magic amulet and he has like he has acne scars and he wishes on this magic amulet to be beautiful and his acne stars scars go away but he looks the same like that's it like he, he doesn't become any different looking at all. It just has cleaner skin. There's a couple of noteworthy elements in this episode that sadly the show was about to get canceled. We didn't go with one was underground robot fights, which of course oh, cool. Dorian is not happy with. I was uh, bummed Dorian didn't have to get involved in that. Oh, I'm glad. I'm glad there wasn't fun. an underground like, robot punch fight. Robots. We, we saw that in future cop. I don't need the, uh, Tony Cox shows up uh, mm-hmm. and he shows up in an exosuit. Not unlike Total Recall, and just like the, the, this, this woman's body opens up. Tony Scott, Tony Cox comes out. Hey, Tony, we Co- have these now. I don't know. It's not going to be important later. We're not going to use it. <laughs> Tony Cox is hilarious. Always. He's a really funny guy. One thing he is not is badass. <laughs> Describe him as a badass actor. He doesn't have that sort of weight or gravitas. He's just sort of a funny guy. Yeah. So when he's in a comedy, he's great. When you see him in Bad Santa, he's great. When you see him in The Silence of the Hams, he's great. <laughs> when you see him, he's great. When you see him, he's great. Okay. Uh, and then the last episode um, uh, is another serial killer episode. Two serial killer episodes. Mm. In a row. Which is weird because th- these weren't or- aired out of order. Yeah. These last three were aired in the intended order. I don't get it. Yeah. It's super weird. But yeah, it turns out John's dad had arrested a serial killer who of was preying on the homeless. Of course the dad. It's always the dad, man. So his dad was disgraced by the, mm. by the cops. Everyone thinks he's a bad cop, man. And John's like, I have to prove my dad was right. And it turns out his dad he's- knew he arrested the wrong guy and was trying to fix it. And that's why mm. uh, he was <laughs> like thrown to pasture by the police department because making the department look bad. Here's the thing. I feel like incorporating the parents is always lazy writing. Um, because it's, it's a it's a cheap way to involve the main character's past in, in a new story in some sort of way. And unless the show has addressed that they have problems with their parents throughout, mm-hmm. or the, the parents' presence or their personality or like... My dad was a cop, so I'm a cop. If that's brought up often, then you can bring it in and sort of play off that dynamic that we've spent the entire series setting up. And you need to spend at least a season setting that up. Well, half a season. Like uh, a, uh, One show that did it well was The Flash, the live-action version of The Flash that we reviewed with M. Emmett Walsh. We introduced in the okay, pilot yeah. episode, we see 
uh, Barry Allen, his hotshot cop brother, mm. and his retired cop dad, and his but brother we, and his dad have a relationship that Barry's not a part of. So it's part of his emotional it's, it's, makeup from but, the and, get-go. And the, yeah, that's established right at the beginning. I'm saying and that's we kind good. Of, and we kind of go back to it, so when we finally have an episode devoted to it, it makes sense because it's exploring a drama that has been percolating for a while. This has not yet been brought up, and it we should don't, have We been. don't care about his dad. He's never talked about his dad. Who, who his dad was or what he did is irrelevant to the drama of the show, well, it, and even to his character. He, he, His dad could be this like nice, calm librarian, and just somehow he became this grizzled, angry badass. It probably would have been more interesting, Like, because the thing is, is that this is something you say it's not important. It should have come up earlier. Mm. The pilot episode is full of people questioning whether or not he should be back in duty, and one of their support arguments would be and his dad was a corrupt cop <laughs> at least that's the narrative we have mm-hmm. it would have well, been relevant now, now it's the narrative we well have. you know what i mean like if that's his backstory it's weird that it didn't come up earlier mm-hmm. it, it would have yeah. it would have been relevant to the conversation and and it does not come up it's super weird um but yeah there's a serial killer he's killing people and replacing them with clones of themselves because he's actually not killing them he's only kidnapping them which mm. is kind of a fun twist <laughs> like you fake pretending to be a serial killer so you can be a better kidnapper mm. okay <laughs> that's kind of fun Re- replacing them with clones seems kind of useless but all right well, it seems it seems unnecessarily elaborate mm. but like whatever the 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 series slash season ends with a very specific homage to Blade Runner, which I thought was interesting. Because it ends with Kenix eating noodles at a noodle stand that looks exactly like where we first meet Harrison Ford in Blade Runner. Oh, I, even, I didn't catch that. He <laughs> even does the thing with his chopsticks where he scrapes them off of each other, which apparently no one is supposed to do, and people only do it because Harrison Ford did it in Blade Runner. I read like an article tracking that trend. Oh, yeah. of, of like scraping your like you know the well they're, they're wood there's little wood shavings you yeah scrape but them apparently off. that's that's still you still don't need to do that because it's only at the end you're not eating with I, I suppose so, so but like, you don't want little shreds falling in your it food was, I, I read an article that was just like that just that was not a thing that was like a faux pas you oh, wouldn't that, do that that article and was dumb that article was great <laughs> but I love but here's the thing it's so speci- it is a specific action mm. and Kenix does do it so Dorian comes up to him and instead of this being the moment where he goes off to kill the robots this is the moment where he truly accepts the robots and he saved Dorian's life he helped. Dorian, uh, uh, you know, get through his performance evaluation, which mm. he was really worried he was going to be taken offline right, again. Right, right. And Dorian got him a new robot leg. I'm not sure where he got the money. <laughs> I'm not sure why he's being paid. Yeah, he <laughs> raises he's, questions. He's police property. He doesn't get a salary. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't really need anything, really. But like, it, I guess he gets some. He, he says throughout the course of the series that he doesn't eat. He, yeah. he needs to you know, use power back at the police station. After a but, while, yeah. he does say that he hates living with the other robots because he has a and they don't and he mm. asks John to move in with him and I'm just like oh here we go but then they make him move in with Rudy which is actually kind of funny I didn't like that I didn't like I uh, there's only so far I want my robot to be humanized in my science fiction drama uh-huh. I want them to remain robots I don't want them to ever become fully human okay I, I don't know maybe that's weird maybe I don't want them to finish you know, like reach their goal of being fully human but mm. having them move in with a, a like it becomes a sitcom now. It becomes the odd couple. Oh, a little bit, and that's yeah. that's way less interesting it's than all... ha- forcing the robot to live with the other it's robots. It's already a buddy cop story. We're spending I, all yeah, the time know, together need... anyway. It's just, I feel like you're kind of... Put, putting making, the odd couple on top of that. you're making him out of a molehill. I thought putting him in with Rudy made more sense because Rudy will keep that robot thing alive because Rudy mm. is fascinated with robots. Yeah. And what we find out later after they move in together is that Rudy is kind of messing around with Dorian when he's asleep <laughs> and Dorian feels violated as well he should. Mm. But what we find out is that while between that time 
when Dorian was turned off and when he was turned back on, he actually had a friendship with Rudy. And Rudy would like wake him up and they play chess mm. together. <laughs> but Rudy like wiped all those memories clean when right. he became like right, a, right, a, a right. new cop. And it was actually like a little element of backstory and tragedy to them. Mm. And it actually was pretty good. And I thought it was a really effective uh, program. Uh, Almost Human, mm. I'm going to just come out and say it, was Definitely canceled too soon. It's definitely canceled too soon. So it's, even it is even a, the lamer episodes are good. It, it's, like, it's just a quality show from beginning to end. They really thought things through on this show. Yeah, like you said, there there are some lame episodes. They're always going to be. Yeah. It, it wasn't a corker through and through. I liked that they were uh, independent stories rather than exploring some sort of grand mystery about mm-hmm. the world. When when people talk about world building. Mm-hmm. That's the background. That's yeah. the framework on which you set your stories. It's it should never be the focus of the story. And I think a lot of people who are like who try and a lot of showrunners who try to create fantasy and sci-fi shows are so obsessed with creating the world that all of the stories come out of what they're doing to construct the world. Yeah. And the myths become about the fate of this world and things that are people are doing to protect this world. How about you just have smaller stories set in that world, and that way that world is more interesting. It feels like something you can actually live inside of without having to deal with the fate of every day. When we talk about world building, I think that's what we're talking about. We're talking mm. about a world that feels like it's well thought out. Mm. The more fantastical the world is, we don't have to do world building for like long order that's just the world mm. <laughs> that's just the way yeah, it is yeah. but for something like game of thrones where there are all these different fictional lands and all these mm. different you know political systems that work out you have to do the work before you start writing or when <laughs> if you introduce something like just out of nowhere at yeah. the end it feels false it feels like you didn't set that up in any way because it would have been organic mm. some of the best worlds ever built are things like harry potter where every detail really does feel like it mm. was designed from the but, beginning but and, and unfortunately harry potter th- near the end of that story Story begins to be more about sort of the fate of that world again. Well, it was building it's, it's into not a, it was about the fate of the an, characters within that world. I I, 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 under, I understand that they're playing a long game and they were also, building towards something really. Also, big, you but, haven't read the books; you've only seen the movies, and yeah. the movies are way more arbitrary about the way that they plot things. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the characters in the story are on a path, and that path mm-hmm. just gets wider okay. as as it goes. The movies don't handle it as well. I'm totally willing to admit that. Okay. I think you're yeah, you, as, as somebody you, who has only seen the movies. I think you're judging it a little a little unfairly. In that regard, but um, but yeah, so almost human is a really really great example of this. Where for the most part, it feels like they thought everything out in mm-hmm. advance. And when we do see a new aspect of the world, it's not because they came up with some new idea and maybe it'll work and maybe it won't. It's because and now we have a reason to go into the sex robot industry. Yeah, we didn't yeah. before, but now we do, and it was there and it was fully formed and it made sense. And nothing about it feels like it mm-hmm. contradicts anything else. So it's exciting to see. That's great. That's really great world building. Like, that's just like, yeah, the world is built. Mm. Now we can explore it if we want to. Yeah. yeah, But we're not going to explore it unless it makes sense for the story. The reason the wall didn't come up until the Gina Caron episode, except for like one offhanded reference, I think, was because... We never had to go to the wall. <laughs> there was no, it, and it, it would be, we, like, it would be the like, characters all know it's there. They don't really have any reason to bring it up. Yeah, it would be like if you set a show in like New York and no one mentioned Los Angeles until they had to go to Los Angeles. Why did they mention Los Angeles? Because it wasn't fucking relevant. <laughs> it didn't matter until just now. You know, like it's it's fine. And, and whenever they had those moments where they had to like sort of introduce a new element, if if it was kind of new and weird, the characters would be kind of shocked or a little bit surprised. Mm-hmm. But the way a cop would be. Oh God! Well, I've never seen that before. Well, let's let's try to figure this out. I guess. Yeah. You know, that's a, a very natural way of responding to this new information. It wasn't. 
delivered in this really portentous way. By the way, there are sex robots. Dun this, dun dun. This changes everything. Yeah, there were no there were no this changes everything moments. It was yeah. just okay. This is new. Now let's deal with it. Yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was, a, it was a very practical show. Yeah, and I, I wanted like, it to be practical, and I'm glad it was practical. I, I like I like practical sci-fi. It's yeah. always fun to see something fantastical and Flash Gordon-y, but mm-hmm. like when it again, it just thinks out what's this going to be like, mm. and almost human says this is what it's going to be like. People will still be people. Robots will be more human than we are, and that'll be a fun <laughs> dynamic. Michael Ely and Carl Urban will be awesome. And and which one of them is the one that is truly almost human? Both of them. They're both. They're both. both because Carl Urban is like fighting his humanity. Yeah, Michael Ely. It's, it's such a trying so hard. Such a, such a clever thing. <laughs> yes, I agree. I think yeah. Almost Human was was definitely canceled too soon. Uh, it is a pity that it didn't do the CSI numbers that it needed. I know. Um, and, uh, it's, it did okay. It, it, the numbers again dropped, but like it did okay. But yeah, sadly, only doing okay for a show this expensive uh, <sighs> just killed it. Uh, the kudos would have, for trying, though. I think well, they could have not here, made it. Here's the question, though: if they could continue uh, into a season two, two things needed to happen. Either they needed to get the audience, which wasn't going to happen. They weren't just going to suddenly get a new crowd. Or they needed to produce the same show on a much lower budget. Mm. Could they have done this sort of complex world building with all of these cool ideas and all these sci-fi tropes and conceits when they had maybe a third of the special effects budget? I don't think they could. Not or the way, or not they, the couldn't, way they couldn't build the sets they wanted I, to. I, I think it would really hurt it because there's so much incidental stuff that yeah, makes the world yeah. the world. All the robot uh, uh, side effects, all the holograms mm-hmm. and everything like that, and it just wouldn't build the same world. I think that if you wanted to continue this now, now that it's the show is dead, mm-hmm. it's been off the air for too long, it's never coming back. I'd be very shocked. <laughs> if you wanted to continue the story and tell the story and tell the world of Almost mm-hmm. Human... I think the best medium to do it would be a video game. A video I game? I think you do like a Grand Theft Auto. Here's okay. this and you just sort of Los Angeles. You can play the game in yeah, the... You're, okay. you're, you're Kenix and Dorian, or, mm-hmm. or you maybe it's multiplayer, I don't know, but like you you and a partner, mm-hmm. and you're going around from futuristic case to futuristic case, and you can sort of expand the world organically that way, and you can mm-hmm. kind of just tell a lot of the storylines that I'm sure they would have wanted to do. I okay. guarantee you they have a big master document with like a hundred ideas. Yeah, Those yeah. are your mini missions. Mm-hmm. It would be pretty good, I think, and it would be exciting, and it would be the sort of thing that would attract people who didn't even see the show. Because <laughs> you can burn through mm. like the, the show that we had in like the prologue and tutorial and a few minutes. <laughs> so like three hours into this like 20-hour game, mm. you've gotten all new material. And yeah. that'd be really cool. So that would be my fantasy for this, actually, because I think I would love to see more episodes, but it's not going to happen. The only mm. way to continue this in a way that is visceral and exciting... I think, unless you wanted to do novels, which would be fine, I guess, <laughs> video games. I think a video game would be great. It, it would be, I think, the most practical way to resurrect this world. Yeah. I don't know how much like a video game is cost, a but lot. probably less than a season of TV. But like, if you if it's a good video game, it's from a good company. You mm. can you can jumpstart an original IP like that. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's hard. It's it's hard. It's easier to do that in a video game in a lot of ways than it is doing a movie. Mm. But you have to make sure you have a, a, a company who knew how to make a good game. <laughs> like uh, yeah, you can't just yeah. like get some side company and hope for the best. Like they might pull it off okay, but it might also be a huge waste of everyone's time. Yeah. So yeah. 
Um, the, studios are just brazen how they license stuff to video game companies. Like any movie will get a video game. Just the Lawnmower Man had a Super well, Nintendo game. Now, now, well, back then, you know, what's funny is that there used to be all these tie-in video games, and they were good games. Like Batman mm. Returns, the Super NES was a great beat 'em up game. Mm. Or Cool Spot is actually a gr- like that, that <laughs> terrible Seven like Up logo. That was a great side scroller. And the reason why they were able to make pull that off is because back in like the eight bit and sixteen bit video game days. Mm. Um, Video games were mostly side-scrollers. Like, that was the majority of the content. Mm. And all you have to do is replace the image of the protagonist, and you, and you can just use all the side-scroller mechanics you've already been developing and just do a good side-scroller that happens mm. to have the Teenage Ninja Turtles in. <laughs> you don't need to necessarily reinvent the wheel every mm. time. But now all the assets have to be very specific and hyper-geared towards something, right, and it right. takes so long to develop just the game part of the game. You know, a typical top-flight game will take anywhere from two to three years from creation to completion mm. and, and, and yeah now and, they have to like animate these entire yeah. movies and get you know, yeah. but a list voice actors m- movies and, yeah, yeah. work faster than that mm. so what happens is you know a movie they announce the movie the movie's gonna come out in like a year and a half that's half as much time as you need to make a triple a game mm. so a lot of the better like movie related games often incorporate mechanics that kind of don't need other like like the Spider-Man games were a really good example of this. Like the Sam mm. Raimi Spider-Man games are good games, but the majority of the game could be developed independently of the movie because it was mostly just swinging around New York doing missions and fighting villains who aren't in the film. Well, and you so, have like, like decades of Spider-Man history and images to fall back so on. So when you like you're playing Spider-Man 2 or Spider-Man 3 and you're playing like the Venom parts or the Doctor Octopus part, they're actually kind of the lamest parts of the game because those are the parts that had to be rushed. Okay. Everything else could be done <laughs> as an independent Spider-Man game and you can just drop it in. Mm. So that's one of the things. Yeah. But nowadays, you know, a lot of these tie-in games are like on your phone, and they're a lot yeah, easier yeah, to yeah. adapt. And you know, most people don't need a huge video game for I don't know <laughs> whatever uh, Marvel thing is coming out this well, year. No, Black Panther probably would like justify an actual video game. I'm trying yeah. to think of something like the Cloverfield Paradox. <laughs> we're just gonna do it. We're just gonna do an app game. The Cloverfield for that. app. Yeah, we're just gonna do a little puzzle game for that. Okay, um, like that's all we need. You have time for a letter? We have or time two? for a couple of letters. Yeah, I, I, I got to go pretty soon. We no, it's fine. We have a couple of letters, and we have a couple big announcements to make. Uh, this one comes from KFM. Hello, KFM. Uh, KFM, your landmark 50th Patreon subscriber here. Ah, thank you thank for being you our 50th Patreon much. subscriber. Uh, and we've had several since, so thank you for all of you. Uh, and this is about uh, our Patreon monthly movie. So ah. for those of you who aren't Patreon subscribers, we apologize. But for those of you who are, hmm. you get a little treat. Um, well, every month you get a bonus episode yeah. just for Patreon subscribers. We review TV mm. movies or miniseries or specials. One of our uh, mo- one of our most recent was Popeye and the Man Who Hated Laughter. Which was uh, even more ambitious than the Avengers Infinity War uh, in terms of its crossover appeal, because it took every single comic strip character who was popular in the early 70s and put them in a single animated special. Um, he says, I really enjoyed the monthly movie episode on the po- um, Popeye meets the man who hated laughter. You asked about listeners' memories of comic strips. Uh, I was born in the late 60s, and not only did I read the comics in the paper every day, I still do. Come at me. I still get the newspaper delivered every day, and the comics are the first thing I read. This is part habit, part superstition. There was a Wesley Snipes movie. I think it was Murder at 1600, in which one man holds, hands a newspaper and says something like, you should always read the comic section first. You'll live longer. I guess they were spies exchanging information i don't remember but since then i justify my daily comics first habit by telling myself it will help me live longer you there know you what go. i believe that i believe it too yeah calvin and hobbs is my all-time favorite but the main reason i read comics uh today is for pearls before swine 
Dear oh, Girls, that, that, that Force is, White. That is great, great too. cynical. I, I actually idea. really like that one, yeah. Uh, two quick comic strip re- related recommendations. Your listeners who do enjoy comic strips might also enjoy a blog called The Comics Curmudgeon, which offers a skewed take on select comic strips. And since you mentioned Crazy Cat, I feel compelled to mention that Crazy, a recent biography of Crazy Cat, creator George Harriman, uh, by author Michael Tisserand, a friend of mine, is available. Cheers and keep up the good work. And he also recommends that we do Terriers. Oh, yeah. We get a lot of requests for Terriers. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, here's one from Chris Wong. Okay. Um, Chris Wong, uh, you'll recall, was the winner of our uh, big sweepstakes from last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the end of April, we do the Cancel Too Soon Awards, and uh, everyone who writes in and votes for their favorite episode of the show so far was entered into a drawing, and they could have forced us to review any movie they wanted, or any TV, TV series show, they yeah. wanted. Uh, Chris Wong won, and he uh, he chose Charlie Jade, and you might recall that in the Total Recall 2070 episode, we didn't speak too well of Charlie Jade. <laughs> Chris Wong wanted to spot oh, okay chris mm-hmm. wong writes hey charlie jade had only had 20 had only had 20 episodes they just felt like 30 <laughs> <laughs> okay to be yeah. fair yeah there were more episodes of total recall 2070 yeah. chris wrong uh, uh adds it wasn't the perfect series but it was the perfect series for me at the time of my life the music is still very good and very cohesive yeah if you like choose the episode we do again we can't guarantee we're gonna like it uh, but you know, shows that we love, we love things for their flaws a lot of the yeah, time. Like yeah. we love them, like they came along at the right time. You said it's a good point. It comes along at the right time. Uh, mm. Every movie or TV series has the potential to be the most important work of art you have ever encountered. Mm. Just if it hits you the right day, the day you need that m- lesson or message or theme explored or that ex- uh, experience or adventure. Mm. So uh, yeah. Totally good on you. Like, if you love Charlie Jade, you're not alone. There are fan groups for Charlie Jade out there. <laughs> we thought it was a little uh, uh, mm. long in the tooth, but that's fine. Here, um, here's a letter from Thomas. Hello, Thomas. Chris Wong wrote more, oh, but it's actually, more. Okay. It's, no, it's actually like almost all stuff we covered okay. in the Almost Human. Like, so you want to talk about Almost Human. So, like, you know, mm. talk about how the production order was swapped and the subtle world building and, uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, glad, glad we could cover that. <laughs> oh, one thing you pointed out that we forgot to mention. When it was airing, people were making fun of Almost Human using Bitcoins as currency. Oh, that's Because it true. was seen as a dying fad. And now it's like, mm, it's really weird. Well, you could tell they were trying to keep ahead of, of the game. They had just heard of Bitcoin. They thought it's the future. What are they going to use? Bitcoin. It's going to be a thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It ex- like just this last year, it exploded and is already kind of collapsing. Yeah. And cryptocurrency, there's this whole bit about cryptocurrency. Well, let's not even about, get into it. It's complicated. It's complicated i don't even understand it and people are like making up joke cryptocurrencies and people are still buying it like i think somebody like called something like poop emoji coin they made up this just to see if they could sell the most ridiculous thing and they made like a million dollars in three days yeah it's crazy anyway uh here's a letter from thomas hello thomas uh, gentlemen, I'm listening to the Condor episode. Uh, I listen to you. Uh, you are only one of two podcasts I listen to. This and How Did This Get Made? Wow, that is mm-hmm. high praise. Thank you. And How Did This Get Made? That's a pretty hot podcast. Oh, man, it's a great yeah. podcast. I love that podcast. That's uh, fantastic. Thank you. In, in that episode, you mentioned Eliminators. This reminded me of what should uh, should remark uh, on the passing of C2C Emeritus Paul DeMeo. I was a big fan of the Flash series, barely remember watching Human Target, and I loved the Trancers series. Uh, uh, so yeah, rest in peace, stuff. Paul DeMeo. Yeah. Uh, speaking of beloved creators who have passed, 
I recently was have been preparing for an index podcast devoted to Brian Clemens Avengers Universe and that Clemens did a pilot originally called Avengers US that was retitled Escapade and featured a young Morgan Fairchild as its Emma Peel. Uh, here's the weird thing, though. When I watched the credit sequence, I realized I'd watched it on TV as a child, although I'll be damned if I remember anything about it. Maybe you can unearth it. Uh, we'll put it on the list. Escapade with Morgan Fairchild. Oh, yeah, I remember Escapade. All right. Yeah. Uh, um, one more suggestion yeah. I have a uh, much clearer memory of. Snavely, which is the American version of Faulty Towers. Oh, I forgot with that With Harvey Corman and Betty White as the Basil and Sybil analogs. You are absolutely right. I forgot that existed. Hmm. We'll have to look into okay. that. Okay. Um, as a kid who was able to watch Faulty on the local PBS station, WPBS, I remember the pilot being a faithful adaptation of the Hotel Inspectors episode of Faulty Towers. It strikes me as an odd curio in the history of UK comedy adaptations, don't you think? Yes. Faulty yeah. Towers is aggressively British. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. Yeah, like, like you, you have to watch that after you've seen a lot of Monty Python just to understand the Britishness of it all. Yeah. Uh, at the risk of overstaying my welcome, I just wanted to remind you that Marvel already replaced one of their heroes with an alternate dimension version of itself back in the 90s. They replaced Tony Stark and the comics oh, with right. Teen Tony. Yeah. When the they, original went nuts and betrayed the Avengers to Kang. And they had to send all of those characters to the Image universe and bring them back all fixed in order to get all that dumbness out. Oh, no. Yeah. I'm, Remember I, that? No, I, Professor I think Professor X's age went crazy, like in Forbidden Planet, and sent all of like sent Captain America and the Avengers. I think this was like Fantastic Four. I think that was right after I stopped reading comics. <laughs> like I, I just lost interest, stopped collecting, didn't go to the stores anymore, and that's when those, that story started. Yeah. Um, now let's hope they remember what a disaster that was and not try anything like that. Oh, they will. They'll try it. They, 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 made, they made an Inhumans TV series. It's All bets are off now. Yeah. Anyway, until you locate the grail that is Holmes and Yo-Yo, which I remember watching, ah, I'll be someday. listening, says Thomas. All right, we gotta, we gotta move on. Yeah. Uh, I want to uh, do a couple of quick announcements. Uh, first mm-hmm. off, uh, thank you very much for joining us for Cops of the Web Partners Month. Next month, we're doing another theme month, but we're doing it for two different reasons. <laughs> One, it's a fun idea. Uh-huh. Two, it's very practical for us because April, on two different levels, mm-hmm. is pilot season. Hooray! Now, what that means for you is that every episode of Cancel Too Soon in April will be a failed TV pilot. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to start off with a pilot starring Joseph Cotton, <laughs> John Cassavetes, mm-hmm. Adam West, and William Shatner. <laughs> It's Alexander the Great, starring William Shatner as Alexander the Great in the 1960s. <laughs> Holy crap. I'm, I'm, I'm disappointed in myself right? for not, not only not having heard of this series, but not having just watched every episode I, of it. I remember, I did some research on this. I found this, and I don't know why I didn't make it a top priority for us, because it just <laughs> slipped under our radar again. So we're doing that. We have a whole bunch of really cool pilots we're going to do throughout the month of April. One of the reasons we're doing pilots is because, you know, when you watch 22 episodes of a television series, it takes up a lot of your time, and you can't mm. do a lot else. And we want to do something special. So... Also, in the month of April, it's our pilot season, and we're going to be debuting <laughs> four pilot episodes mm-hmm. for four bonus podcasts that we are eventually going to provide to our Patreon listeners. Now, the pilot episodes we will release probably exclusively on Patreon first, mm-hmm. and then we'll debut it on the actual show proper, so everyone can give it a listen. 
mm-hmm. so they can get a sense of what's on Patreon. And uh, then the Patreon members are going to be able to vote mm-hmm. on which series they want to take the series. <laughs> so we're going to have four different pilots, and the pilot episodes, we're going to tell you what they are right now. We'll do a video about it as well on Patreon mm-hmm. sometime this weekend. Uh, but your, your the shows are Cancel Too Soon the Home Game. <laughs> Cancel Too Soon, the home game, we look exclusively at old, defunct game shows. Maybe they were canceled too soon, maybe they're long-lasting, and they're just gone now. Mm. But we're just going to look at a couple episodes of an old game show, and we're going to relive the magic. There are so many types of canceled shows, we can afford to compartmentalize like that. Yeah. Like, we have done one game show before, but... We'd rather ha- like spend more time devoting to it. It seems like its own separate category in yeah, a lot of ways. Yeah. So there's that. Next one we're going to try out is Average Fest. <laughs> now, this is an, another thing I pitched to Nerdist back in the day. Yeah, then no one cared. No one a, cared. There's a reason why, but maybe it'll be interesting in spite mm-hmm. of itself. So like most podcasts are about the best movies ever made or the worst movies ever made. We're on a mission to find the most average movie ever made. <laughs> Just so, pure middle of the road, two star mediocrity five out of ten mm. not great not bad not boring but not interesting either just kind of there the, the ones that you might say oh i kind of remember that one yeah like like the one that you watch and like kind of enjoy watching but then a year later you confuse it for another movie like did i yeah, see yeah. what happens in vegas or did i see last vegas i don't remember are they the same thing <laughs> and the idea is these things come and go they sell themselves as however big events they are they run their course they go away now that they're gone forever and not even in your memory, is there something in there that can be salvaged? Yeah. Well, what 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 is what was it about this film that people felt it needed to get made? Yeah, I think it's an interesting conversation to have, and I think no one's really having it. Uh, the next show we're going to be doing is we're actually still debating on a title for this one. Uh-huh. Um, Whatever's on is mm-hmm. one that we're thinking about. I also like the Shuffler, uh, but the idea <laughs> is this: you know, we do a lot of these shows uh, like from scratch, from the beginning, these canceled shows. But there's a lot of other TV shows out there, and we would review an episode of them at random the rule is it can't be a show we've seen so we're going to take like episode season three episode four of desperate housewives which is not not, not a show we've watched watch it in a vacuum see if we can figure out what the hell is going on just by picking a (laughs) random episode of a show that actually lasted a while that we haven't seen this is an idea that's actually been contributed by several of our listeners they thought it would be really great if we covered like one random episode of a long-running show so we're going to give it a shot and if you like it you can vote for it and then the last one is another movie one this is called All the Best. And in All the Best, we review every Best Picture nominee. Nominee, that is. Nominee. Not winner. <laughs> nominee. People, a lot of people have done Best Picture winners. Yeah. We're and that's easy. Every, there's only one that we can't do because it is missing. There was uh, one from, was, from the early days. Yeah, like the second Academy year of the Academy Awards, there was a film called The Patriot that is sadly a lost film. So that's mm. like the only one we couldn't do. All the rest of them are available somewhere. We can track them down, mm. and we review every single nominee for Best Picture at the Academy Awards. That would take a while. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's a, that's a slide. But that's the other pilot. And then at the end of April, you're going to get to choose which one you're going to do. We're also going to, at the end of April, have our SUNY Awards. Mm-hmm. And once again, we're going to invite you to pick your choice for the best episode of our show. And I think the winner is going to be able to pick... Uh, a, a one show that we're going to do in like mm-hmm. June, probably. Uh, Cancel Too Soon show of their choice. We can't fight you as long as we can find it. We got to do it. And I think we should pick a runner up to do uh, the Cancel Too Soon monthly movie. That sounds fair. Great. 
so that's what's coming up. We'll make some more announcements about the awards later. Uh, keep an eye out in the next coming weeks for all these uh, pilot episodes we're going to do. Keep an eye out for Alexander the Great. Don't forget you can email us, canceltoosoon at gmail.com. We're on Twitter at CancelCast. I'm at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibold. Uh, if you haven't subscribed on Patreon, now's a good time to start. Patreon.com <laughs> slash CancelToSoon. We're going to be doing some updates to our Patreon, changing a little bit about uh, mm-hmm. the perks we have available so that we can offer you, uh, give you a better idea of what specific content. But before we to do that, we need to know what we're going to give you. Yeah, hence yeah. pilot season. <laughs> so, uh, everybody, thank you very, very much for enjoy- for uh, sticking with us to Casa de Web Partners Month. Pilot season is coming, and that is a wrap, folks. We'll see you next season. <laughs>